uh, we spent the last uh, about four weeks, about the last month, uh, talking about relationships here. Right? Talking about relationships and how every relationship that we're in is jacked up, pretty much. Every relationship that we're in is, is messed up and has been hindered and, and uh, taken away from its original design by sin, um, by our own selfishness. We've seen that it's the responsibility of each individual, no matter how bad the other person in the relationship might be, the Bible places the impetus on each and every single one of us to do our part uh, to allowing these relationships to find the health and the healing that they were originally created uh, to, to, to have and to experience and to be the blessing that they were created to be. I, I, I think as we've gone through this, I'm really grateful for those of us in here who have taken these messages to heart. I, I know from talking with some of the Sunday school teachers and some of the shepherds that some of y'all are really wrestling with these things because this is where we're at. We're in these places where relationships are broken and we're longing for these relationships to be redeemed. Um, I read an email from one of our uh, one of our ladies here at Harvest this week and um, just talking about the things that God is doing in her heart as a result, in her life as a result of uh, the past month's worth of, of sermons. And um, she basically, uh, one of the things that she said was, as I live out the gospel in my home, it's changing the way I live the gospel outside of my home as well. And I was really, uh, yeah, just thinking about the, 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 how profound that thought is. It begins here and then it, it moves outward, right? It starts in those places where uh, it's, we're most called to be in relationship, a most intimate relationship with, and then it, and then it spreads out from there. And I know others are, are really wrestling with these ideas, but I, th- I think if you're anything like me, probably somewhere along the way, Probably somewhere along the way on this road to good intentions, you've encountered something. Encountered this desire where I'm going to really fight to submit to my parents. I'm going to really fight to submit to my spouse. I'm going to really seek to do my best to put my children before my own self. And I'm not going to get angry out of them because of my own selfishness. And, and we're really trying to do these things. I'm going to hold my tongue. I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to put them before me when push comes to shove and things get really difficult. I'm going to, I'm going to take the high road and I'm going to take the way of Christ. But along that way, probably a great majority of us have gotten to a place where we just can't hold it in anymore. It's like, I, I, I'm trying so hard, but in that moment, she just pushes all of my buttons and all of that junk comes out again. And I, and I blow up on her and I can't, I can't contain myself. I don't know what, as much as I try it's like, I, I, I feel like I can't do it. I can do it for a certain amount of time, but it only goes so far. I just get so frustrated. I get so fed up with them. I, 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 try to, I, I try to hold my tongue and I try to do what is right. But then in that moment, all of those evil, annoying things that they said to me just begin to pile up and, and just begin to spill out. It's like a volcano and it comes out. And, and then at the end, I feel so bad. I feel so guilty and I beat myself up because I could not do what I pledged to myself and to my spouse and to my cell church members and to my Sunday school teacher that I would do. I said, I would go this week without yelling at my parents. I would go this week without yelling at my spouse. And we realize that we're back in the same old place again. We say, oops, I did it again. And I, I can't, I don't know what got into me. And then you feel so guilty and you beat yourself up that you go back into your old, thinking that God has abandoned you to live a life of broken and jacked up relationships until the day you go on into glory. 
You guys feel that way ever? Like as you're trying to live out this idea of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I know I want to do this. I know in light of the gospel, in light of what Christ has done for me, in light of kneeling before the cross, that's what I ought to do. And yet, when it comes down to it and the rubber meets the road, I just can't do that. Thankfully, the passage that we're going to look at today was written to get us off of this cycle and to give us hope because the Bible tells us that God has given his believers everything that we need so that this would not be the pattern of our lives. So Ephesians chapter five, thankfully the passage does not begin with verse 21 as we've been reading, but it goes back a little bit further. We're going to read from Ephesians chapter five, starting in verse 18. We're going to read verse 21. I'm just going to pull out two points from this that I think will be extremely uh, helpful and informative as we seek to live out a life of redeemed relationships. This is Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 18. It says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. All right, so how, do we, how are we going to tie these things together? Um, let, me, uh, yeah, let me just say, this is going to be the, the kind of the capstone, the conclusion of this series here where we've talked about different things. We've talked about all these different relationships. But I think without this final message, actually I feel bad for the people who are not here, but without this final message, then we're going to, be, we're going to continue to live a life, a cycle of frustration. Because we're going to try and do these things. I'm going to, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's a high and noble calling. We try to do that, but we realize that this is not how Jesus would have loved his church. Children, uh, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And yet we constantly think about our parents and how wrong they seem to be. I think without this last message, it's very difficult for us to live in and breathe in this biblical command. So what is it? Two things that we see. The first thing that we see here is that relationships redeemed, redeemed relationships, relationships will not be redeemed simply by trying harder. It's a supernatural work. Okay, relationships will not be redeemed simply by trying harder. I think you have all experienced this. This is, a, this is an argument Built out of experience. I, I got an email from one of our ladies uh, this week, and, and she was like, you know what, DL, I'm uh, really trying to live this week as if God was my only audience at work. But there are just some people that I meet at work who just make me want to quit as soon as possible. And I, I remember hearing from this one guy saying, like, you know what, I have comp- I, I've gotten all this accountability in my life to try and be good to my parents. They, they're praying for me. They're, they're asking me how I'm doing. And yet when it all comes down to it, I just can't love them. I can't love them. There's this, there's this barrier that everything that they do is, is, is checkered and colored by all of this bitterness that I have. And I don't know what to do. I think by experience, we understand that simply trying harder is not going to redeem our relationships because we're so selfish. And it's such a difficult thing that in this sense that relationships have been jacked up and completely broken by sin. It's not going to take a it's not going to take a natural solution in order to, to, to fix these things. So what in the world are we talking about here? 
If you look in this passage, thankfully, it's not just an, it's not just an argument by experience. It's an argument from Scripture. In chapter 5, verse 18, I, I, you got to understand this because as you read this, you probably think, well, there's seven commands here. OK, it says, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the spirit. Uh, sing and make music in your heart. Speak to one another with Psalms and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God, the father for everything. And then submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Six or seven verbs that you see there. Six or seven commands we'd be led to believe. However, when Paul is writing this, okay, when Paul is writing this. There's really only two commands that he gives. Okay, two commands and the rest are participles. Okay, what in the world does that mean? Any English majors here? Okay, basically here's what it means. Say there's two commands. If you do these two commands, then these participles that follow will be a natural byproduct of your obedience to these two commands. Now, what are the two commands here? Here's what it says. Verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. Okay, two commands. Don't get drunk. And maybe this is a sermon in itself for those of us in here who feel like, you know what? I'm of age. It's okay to get drunk. It, it can't be more clear. Don't get drunk on wine. That's what he says. Okay, so just take that. If that's a sermon you need here, take it and fall asleep on it. But. The other command, don't get drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the spirit. Okay, two commands here. He said, if you live in these things, then here's what's going to happen. You will necessarily speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You will then sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. You will always give thanks. And you will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The question is, are we being filled with the spirit? Actually, before we get there, are you getting drunk? If you're getting drunk, then you're never going to live this command out. That's why drunks are the worst dads, are the worst moms, are the worst parents, because they're not going to sing and make music in their heart to the Lord. They're not going to submit to one another. They're going to be abusive. They're going to beat their whoever it is that they get into relationships with. This is why drunks will never be able to do this because they're, they're disobeying this the command out of which these participles flow. So you're trying to come into worship and you're trying to sing these songs to God. You're trying to be encouraging, but you're always cutting other people down. You're never grateful. Even on Thanksgiving Day, you think of all the things that you have to be thankful for. You think, I'm not blessed up. I'm messed up. That probably, if, if you're living a life of a drunk, then that's why. It's that simple. On the other hand, then, and I'm, that, that's not where I'm, I'm trying to go here. But if you're filled with the Spirit, he says, then the natural or supernatural outflow will be that you will sing and make music, you will live a life of gratitude, you will encourage other people, and you'll submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So have you been able to submit to other people, to put them before your own desires, put them before your own needs? And if you have not, then the question is, are you being filled with the Holy Spirit? Because if we're not, if we're not, then we're not going to be able to do this. Because redeeming relationships doesn't come simply by trying harder. We all know this. Because we're sinful, we're selfish, and the default mode of our hearts is to look inward and to want to care for ourselves. And unless there's a supernatural act of grace that takes place in us, we will not be able to do this. And we won't. So think about 
Um, there's this, uh, this, this great preacher a couple centuries ago named D.L. Moody. And he talked about, he talked about uh, just the selfishness within our hearts. And he would do this, this demonstration where he'd have a cup and he would hold up, this, he'd hold, hold up a cup. And he would say, how do I get the air out of this cup? And people would give a bunch of different uh, solutions, and none of them which worked. One of them said, well, if you take a, uh, take a, 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 a suction and you sucked out all of the air, right, create a vacuum and suck out all of the air, then, then you could do it. He said, no, that would just crush the glass, and you'd have no glass left. And then another one said, uh, gave just weird answers, like flip the cup upside down on the table. And he'd be like, uh, how does that make any sense? But they, they'd throw out all these different answers, and he'd say, none of these answers work. How do you get the air out of a cup? He'd say, here's how. He would take a pitcher of water and he would pour water into the glass. And the glass would fill up and all of the air would be gone from that cup. He's saying, this is what happens when we're filled with the Spirit. See, our hearts are so filled with the air of selfishness and sin. And we do all of these, try all of these impossible methods in order to get the selfishness out. We try the vacuum of trying harder, right? We try the vacuum of, I'm about to say something here, but ho- hopefully it doesn't offend any of us. We try the vacuum of, of, of going to conferences and seminars that teach us how to have better relationships. And that's all good, and we need to have these things. But if it ignores this fundamental basic principle that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then all of these things are just going to be a trying harder, a fighting in natural means to try and do what only supernatural means can do. I remember uh, reading this one pastor. He was talking about uh, even Christian books ignore this baseline command. Uh, this pastor was talking, reading this one book, and he was quoting it. And he said, uh, there's one book that he was reading. He said, here's the be- one of the best things that you can do to spice up your marriage. Okay? He said, get a teddy bear, right? a nice, soft, plush teddy bear, and wrap it in aluminum foil. And then write love notes on it and then put it in the back of your freezer where the lasagna and the ice cream is. And then go to work and just kind of go on your own day. Someday, you don't know when it will be, your spouse is going to open up the freezer to get out that lasagna or to get out that ice cream. And they're going to see this teddy bear. And this book literally said, then your marriage will be full of bliss. If only it were that simple. If it were that simple, then I would have stock in teddy bears. But it's not. Because he says, you're not going to redeem relationships simply by trying harder. You can't do it in natural means. You see, when when we become Christians, Holy Spirit lives within us. Paul's not talking about that. He's saying we need to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, we need to continue to be filled with the Spirit because there are, in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes and he says there are spiritual Christians and then there are carnal Christians. Some people in whom the Holy Spirit dwells, but in, not, but in whom the Holy Spirit does not fill their lives. He says these people, okay, these people will not be able to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let me break it down. Here's, here's what he's saying. Let me take it away from, from all of this, this kind of like uh, mumbo-jumbo spiritual talk. Here's what he's saying. If your relationships with people are jacked up, it's because your relationship with God is jacked up. 
Yeah, that's, that's simply put. That's what he's saying. And all throughout the Bible, that's what he says. The great commandment says that first John says that everything says that your relationship with each other is built upon your relationship with God. And the reason why fellowship with others is disjointed is because fellowship with God is disjointed. It's as plain and as simple as that. So how then do we experience the filling of the Holy Spirit? I don't want to give a uh, I, I can't I can't give an entire theology of the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you a story about uh, Something that happens with with Manny is she's getting older. She's like starting to think that she's like a, a, a tiny little adult and she like romps around the house like she's in charge. And especially as she learns words and she learns vocabulary, she starts asking for things. And and so like when I uh, when I go to brush my teeth with my electric toothbrush and she comes into the bathroom and she wants her toothbrush. And so she reaches up and she can't grab it. And so she asks for it. So I, I, I think this would be helpful for her to have one day. And so I give her her toothbrush and she puts it in her mouth and, and she like stomps around the house like she's actually brushing her teeth. And, and she, she learns about what, you know, she's got this stuffed animal dog and she calls it a mung mung. And so she's always asking for, for mung mung. And so when she needs it, for example, to sleep or if she's like going crazy and she needs it to comfort herself, then I'll, I'll give her her little mung mung and, and, and then she's happy. The other day, uh, Manny and Olivia and I were hanging out, right? And Manny comes up to Daddy and she asks me for a fish. I said, okay. So what Olivia and I have taught her is that when she asks for something, well, when she wants something, she can't demand it. She has to put her hands out like this and say, we're teaching her Korean, so we make her say, give it to me, please. Can I have it, please? She has to say, chuseo. She doesn't say it well, but she, she just kind of says something and she puts her hands out like this. She asked me for a fish. And so I said, okay, Manny. And I pull out a three-foot-long snake, and I put it in her hands. Later that night, she goes, apa, which means daddy, daddy. She says, can I have an egg? And she said that in Korean. She says, uh, egg. Okay. And so I pull out of my pocket a scorpion, and I put it in her hands. And she gets bit, and she runs away crying. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, what kind of a father would do that? I know I'm not the best father. I'm evil at times. Jesus says, if you then, even though you're evil, would never give your child a scorpion if he asked for an egg. If you're, you would never give your child a snake if he asked for a fish. Even though you're evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more? Will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, God is saying, I have given you everything that you need in order to have redeemed relationships. And the only limiting factor in your relationship and my relationship with these people in our lives is how much are we asking God to fill us with his Holy Spirit? He says, I have given you everything that you need. Everything that you need. See, when Jesus walked on the earth, the God who was invisible became visible. And people said, there goes God walking on the streets of Palestine. And today, though Jesus is no longer with us, through the power of the Holy Spirit living within us, people look at those in whom the Holy Spirit dwells and they say, there goes. That's what Jesus would have looked like as they see us going on the streets of Orlando. In other places, the Bible links being filled with the Spirit with faith. 
in believing, asking, and then believing in other places in, in, uh, in, in Colossians, in the same passage that says, be filled with the spirit. It connects it with the word of God. Saying the word of God must dwell within you in order for you to be filled with the spirit and to live in obedience to Christ. And this is how we get filled with the Holy Spirit. Saying everything that you need is available to you. But we're so filled with the air of selfishness and anger and unforgiveness. And as the Holy Spirit comes and ejects this selfishness out of us, he says, if you're filled with the spirit, because we leak, we need to continue to ask God to fill us with his Holy Spirit. And if we as we continue to fill him, then we'll see that songs begin to come. Gratitude begins to come. Submission begins to come. This is the first thing that we see. Relationships cannot be redeemed simply by trying harder. It will not simply by trying harder because it's a supernatural work. This is the first thing. Second thing, I'll be, I'll be brief here so that we can end. The second thing that we see here then is that when relationships are redeemed, redeemed relationships testify to the reality of Christ, testify the reality of the gospel. Verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. Why in the world would he link, contrast, compare drunkenness with being filled with the spirit? Because when you're drunk, well, not when you're drunk, but when someone is drunk, when someone is drunk, they surrender to the effects of the alcohol. They come under the influence of that alcohol. They talk differently. They think differently. They speak differently. They act differently. And everyone looks at them and they say, that's not Alfred. That's the wine talking. That's the alcohol talking. Right? And everyone looks at them and they see that they're completely under the influence of another. They say, that's not him anymore. That's not her anymore. That's the alcohol kicking in. And when someone begins to develop a reputation of constantly being filled with alcohol, then they don't just become a person who gets drunk. They call them a drunkard. And a drunkard, even though you can't see the alcohol in them, they testify to the reality of alcohol affecting their lives. Now, in the same way, this is what Paul is saying. When you are filled with the Spirit, okay, when you're filled with the Spirit, you begin to think differently. You begin to act differently. You begin to speak differently. You begin to, you begin to look at life differently. And even though people cannot see the Holy Spirit in you, it's not like, I mean, maybe some people will, will have gold teeth come into their mouth. I don't know. Some people believe that that's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Um, you could take that for what it's worth. Even though you don't see the work, you don't, so you don't see the work, you don't see the Holy Spirit descending upon a person like a dove, like it did in, in Jesus' baptism. We look at that person and we see that there's something different about the way that they live and it testifies to the reality of the gospel in their lives. That's why we cannot go on the mission field if we're not full of the Spirit. Someone who claims to be a Christian but is not filled with the Spirit does not demonstrate all of these fruit. Then it would cause people to look at them and say, you know what? There's something wrong with them. Either there's something wrong with the way they think. If they say that they've been filled with the Spirit, but there's no transformation in their lives, right? This is how uh, Francis Chan uh, talks about it. It's kind of a, a simple analogy. But he says, say you go away to camp one day. You go away to a camp over the weekend, and they ask you how it was. Like, oh, my gosh, it was amazing. It was so good. 
it, it was a basketball camp. And while I was there and the Holy Spirit, like God himself came upon me. Like God filled my life and he completely changed. Like he invaded my life and he changed the way I play basketball. Like, really? Wow, that's pretty cool. But you say, well, let, let's go out and let, let's play. And the guy's like really excited. So you're playing basketball and, and after a while you realize that there's not much change about this guy's game. Maybe he's taking a little bit of time to warm up. Maybe the Holy Spirit juice has got a flow in him. But after an hour of playing, it's like he's exactly the same. If someone really encountered God, like God invaded his body, you would think that maybe, just maybe, his jump shot would be a little bit better. And he would make more than 10% of his shots. You would think that maybe he'd have a little bit better crossover, right? And he wouldn't get the ball stolen every time like he used to. You think maybe he would be able to make a bounce pass and it would get to his teammate rather than to the opponent. You would think maybe he could jump a little bit higher. But if there's no change in the way that he plays basketball, then what are you led to believe? This guy's probably not telling the truth. Because if God invaded his body, his life would be so different. Either this guy's got an integrity problem, this guy's got a delusional problem, this guy's got a mental problem, or his God is pretty, 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 pretty weak. If we say that our lives have been changed, like you got baptized, you were, you were confirmed, and you say, my life is changed because of Christ. What would we be led to believe if there was no transformation in your life? Either there's something wrong with your mind, with your heart, with your integrity, or with your God. He's saying, if God himself has come and changed your life, if God like resides inside of you, should there not be a change in the way that you live life? When we're filled with the spirit, we will speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We will sing and make music in our heart to the Lord. We will always give thanks to God and probably as it relates to relationships, most importantly, we will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, putting them first. And when people see that, they say, wow, the God that you say you believe must be real. Last week we celebrated, remembered a day called, uh, in Korean it's called Samilcha. It's uh, the March 1st movement. And we had a celebration at one of the local churches and Minsun and Paul did a fabulous job of chronicling and talking about the history of what this means. And basically starting from 1910, uh, Japan invaded and occupied Korea against the will of the Korean Peninsula. And so from 1910 until 1919, there's this kind of rising current of animosity from uh, amongst the Koreans towards the Japanese who had oppressed them, treated them unjustly. So in 1919, on March 1st, uh, 33 men and women signed this declaration 
of independence from Japan. And throughout different cities in Korea, uh, they led these peaceful protests. And of these 33, I think 28 or 29 of them were followers of Jesus Christ, and they would end up giving their lives for the sake of freedom. From 1919 until 1945, when the bombs were dropped on uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, when this, uh, this, all this ended, uh, there was severe oppression amongst the Koreans, right, against the Koreans by the Japanese. Um, people, uh, young women, were kidnapped and were used as sex slaves. A lot of other injustices. Now, amongst them, amongst these people who were living in Korea, she wasn't a, a comfort woman or anyone like that, was a, was a follower of Jesus Christ. Her name was Esther Ahn Kim. Esther Ahn Kim. She was a follower of Jesus Christ, and she said, no matter what, no matter what, I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to stand for Christ in this time. Uh, Japan had set up shrines all around Korea, and they said that you need to bow down and worship these shrines, but she, would, she refused to. She said, because of my faith in Christ, I will never do that. I will never do that. And she knew that she'd get thrown in prison. And so in anticipation of that, she would prepare herself physically, spiritually, constantly asking Holy Spirit to fill her, to ready her for what would be as she spends years in prison. Physically, she prepared herself by eating moldy, rotten food because she knew that's what she would eat. She would be served when she went into prison. She knew that she wouldn't have a Bible. So she memorized hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of chapters of Scripture. She fasted and she prayed. And as she fasted and as she prayed and, and just asked the Spirit of God to fill her, she began to see passages of Scripture with just crystal clarity. Just powerful truths just rising up within her. And, and, and her heart was just, just filled with the Spirit of God as she was engaging in His Word. She memorized hymn after hymn after hymn and, and song after song so that she could sing them while she was in the prison. Sure enough, in 1939, she was captured and she was thrown into jail and completely harshly mistreated. And yet in her time in prison, in her time in prison, her biographers say that countless people were ministered to her, brought into saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because of the ways in which spirit-filled little Esther served and submitted herself to other people. And there was one woman in particular, a Chinese woman, who was thrown in jail for murdering her husband. This woman was just about psycho. She would moan and she would scream and she would yell constantly. She would bang on the doors of the prison until finally the guards tied her arms behind her back. And this is who Esther was in a, a cell with. And she would just constantly scream and yell. And Esther would just, she just felt the spirit of God saying, love her, love her, love her. So she began to love her. Three days in a row, she would give her food to this Chinese woman. Even the portions were tiny. She would give her food to her. Knowing that her spirit-filled preparation had enabled her and empowered and strengthened her to be able to do that. Every night, every night, she would rub this woman's feet and hold them with her hands to warm her in those freezing cold jail cells. Because she knew that this woman could not because her hands were tied together. Even though her entire body this chinese woman was covered with excrement she would still hold and massage and rub her feet to keep her warm this lady day after day after day just in her state of psychosis 
And yet in those conversations, in those songs, in those readings of scripture, this woman began to change. Her heart began to open up. And in time, she gave her life to Jesus. She said, if Jesus is really like you, if he's really like you, then I want to know him. And she gave her life to the Lord. Later, this woman was killed, executed because of the crime that she had committed. And yet she went to her grave fully alive in Christ because of this one woman. Jailers, government officials would talk about how this one woman literally lit up this dark jail cells and testify to the gospel of Christ. Hardened criminals, murderers, traitors, all kinds of people were ministered to her and people would look at her and they saw the reality of the gospel in her life. See, when our relationships are, we begin to live this out, to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. When we're filled with the spirit, people begin to realize and they begin to see the reality of the gospel. It's not like you talk about this God and I don't see him anywhere. It's like you talk about this God and I see him lived out in you. And in the same way that I see the effects of wine and alcohol on this person's life. Testifying to the reality of alcohol. I see the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I see that what you talk about is true. I see that the God that you talk about is real. I see that the gospel that you testify about with your words is also being testified to in your life. And I see that that's real. That's what it means to be a Christ-centered leader who goes and transforms the world. It's not about talking about it and saying, I'm going to sing these songs and then that's it. And saying there's no change in the way that I live. It's about seeing that when we're filled with the Spirit of God, we testify to the reality of the one that is invisible, but is made visible in your life and in mine. So that when people see you, they see Jesus. And when we're filled with the Spirit of Christ, God says, look, this is who it is. The spirit, the, the, the same spirit, the same power of God, the same spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead. That kind of power is living in you and is filling you. If you would ask, do you believe that you have everything, every resource in you to be able to live a redeemed relationship? With your child, with your parent, with your brother, with your sister, with your coworkers, with your husband, with your wife. Do you believe that's true? Because if it is, then we'll begin to live in a reality that causes other people to look and say, you know what? Your marriage didn't used to be like that. What's different? You know what? Your family didn't used to be like that. What's different? And they would see the reality of Christ living in us. Let's pray together. Let's come and let's ask the Lord God. If you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more so will your father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? I don't know about y'all, but I, I want more of the spirit in me. I want there to be less of me and more of the spirit of God in me. Less of my selfishness and more of the beautiful fruit of the Spirit living in me. I don't want people, as I walk through Target, as I walk through Chick-fil-A, I don't want people seeing more of a man. I want them to see more of Christ. What about with you? 
What about in your life? Let's take a time to respond to the Lord. Just pray that simple prayer, God, let there be more of you so that there would be less of me. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to fill us, to empower us, to anoint us, to fill us, so that the byproduct would be that we would live life that testifies to the beauty and the reality of Christ. Let's pray. As a sign of of desire, if you want to just open your palms and lift your hands to the Lord and say, God, fill me. I need you. I I can't do this myself. I need you, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Let's take a moment to pray to the Lord. God, fill me more of you. Let there be more of you. Let's pray together for a few moments. Let's pray a prayer of confession to the Lord. As we have more of the Lord God in us, we need to allow there to be an expulsion of all of the things that keep us from him. As we prepare to come to the Lord's table for those who are able, let's prepare our hearts so that we would come in a manner worthy of the gospel, that we would come in a way that would honor Christ, be able to see him clearly, worship him. So let's continue in our prayers of preparation, asking the Lord to change our hearts, give us sensitivity so that we might understand all that this table means and all that his, all that his love and sacrifice means for us. Let's continue to pray and ask the Lord to search us and to mold our hearts.
Father in heaven, we pray that none in here would surrender our relationships to a faith that says this is as good as it can get. If we're children of God, Father, you have given us everything that we need, everything that we need in order to have life-giving, life-changing, world-testifying, Christ-honoring, mutually submitted relationships one to another. God, you have given us everything that we need. You've given yourself, your spirit that lives within every child of God. And you say to us, this is your life. Live believing, knowing what is yours in Christ. Help us to believe it, O oh God. Help us to receive more of your spirit. Holy God, that you would fill us more and more. That we might testify to the watching world the beauty, the reality of Christ in us, the hope of glory. So we thank you. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.